My name is Larry Perez and I'm a ranger with Everglades National Park and I do a lot of outreach and education work for invasive species in the area. We're right now at the Anhinga Trail which is one of the most popular visitor areas in the park. What a lot of folks don't realize is that some of those animals that they're seeing out here on the trail and some of the plants are not only non-native to the area but they're actually species that we're trying tirelessly to eradicate from the park. Native species are those that either have occurred, now occur, or may occur in a given area through natural processes. And that stands in stark contrast to an exotic species, which is one that occupies an area either directly or indirectly as a result of human actions, be that intentional or accidental. Fortunately for us, the vast majority of exotic species don't adversely impact the ecosystems that they're introduced to. But those that do are generally termed invasive species. And in terms of management, those are the ones that we typically target. The park has been actively engaged in managing non-native exotic species for decades now, and it remains at the forefront of our efforts here as far as resource management. In a moment, we're going to show you a few of those more high-profile species and some lesser-known species you may not have heard about. And take you out in the field with researchers will show you what we're doing about the problem and how we're day-to-day -day managing this very important issue. Is that, is that not amazing? That guy was like what, almost 12 feet? Yeah. 12 foot snake vanished. We're releasing these snakes with, with tracking devices in them so we can view where they're going, how far they travel, what kind of habitat they're using. The next reason is because a lot of times a male will lead us to more females or vice versa. So release one and catch multiple. But we really want to learn more about these animals and study their movement and study their habits and their habitat. It's giving me the same thing. I think it might be further out here. 90. 92, 95. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how cryptic they are. You step right on one and not even realize it. Burmese pythons, uh, I think, can be summed up right now where we are with them. Uh, as you may or may not know, they are an invasive species. They come from Southeast Asia. They've come here through the pet trade, either intentional or unintentional releases, some combination thereof, perhaps. We'll never know exactly how they got released. Showed up here in, in deep in the park in the mid-1990s. Maybe we have, in, we have information that suggests that they may have even been here as early as the mid-1980s. Needless to say, though, they are here as a result of the pet trade. Um, they were brought in here, imported in here, and then bred locally through, through captive breeding and distribution for sale. They were purposely imported like a lot of other exotic pets and found their way, either intentionally or unintentionally, into, into the wild. There are lots of pythons, lots of Burmese pythons, out in the wild. Most everyone agrees that given their reproductive potential and the distribution of where we find them now, that there are thousands, um, if not tens of thousands, of Burmese pythons in South Florida. They are very broad diet, 
They eat lots of birds, lots of mammal species, and they also successfully eat and consume alligators. They have the potential to eat many of our threatened or endangered or imperiled species that we may have. There she goes. It's hitting hard right here. Really hard. Here, look at this. There's the snake right there. See it? Coiled. I don't think they provide any more of a danger to humans than the dangers we already have out there. I think that's an important point to make is that, that it's, it's, it can be a dangerous place, whether it's, whether it's reacting to, to bee stings, whether it's hydration, whether it's, it's the pinnacle rock, or whether it's an alligator, or any of our venomous snakes. There's reason to pay attention to what you're doing. He just popped his head up right here. You can see his head. He's taking bubbles. Those are all jewel fish. Amazing, wow. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, look at this, they what color up. What is that? See the jewelfish with the red tails? Oh, yeah, there's lots of them. Wow. So these are our African friends. African jewelfish. So somebody put them in an aquarium and then they cat in here? Is that how it Yeah, what's works? the best theory these days of where these guys come from? Probably the aquarium industry. In 2000, we first collected the African jewelfish within Everglades National Park. Within this 10 years that the African jewelfish has been in the park, it's really become one of the most abundant freshwater fish within the shorter hydroperiod marshes. Have they shown any impact? Have they had an adverse impact? On yeah, we don't know yet. Uh, the numbers that we tend to catch them in some areas suggest that there could very well be a, an impact. We've got a park-wide monitoring effort. We're looking primarily to identify, try to find a lot of these non-native species uh, and to see how their distribution changes over time. So we've had this big park-wide sampling effort going on since 2004 and we've been able to track how the African jewelfish has been spreading in the park. So that's a female marsh killifish and she's filled with eggs. You worry that it's a problem. It's hard to know if it's a problem. I'm extremely curious about the degree to which it is a problem. I think the problem would be if the new fish that have been introduced are extinguishing all the native species. We found pockets of water, certain sinkholes here, where we'd pull out you know, 10 or 15 uh, African jewelfish to just one or two native sunfish. So it's pretty surprising to see. And some of the introduced species are extremely colorful and they're interesting in their own right too. Originally it's from Australia and it was introduced into South Florida around the late 1800s by humans and it's still here today. The reason that it can be a problem is it can displace 
the native vegetation. Some of the top invasives that we deal with are not only Melaleuca, but we also have Brazilian pepper, Australian pine, Ligodium, which is also known as Old World Climbing Fern. It's part of the mission statement of the National Park Service is to manage for uh, invasive or non-native exotic species. So it's also part of, of the Park Service's mission to preserve um, the native habitat. The best way I think to try and control it is using an integrated approach to it. So we will use both mechanical method to chop at the tree and either cut it down or we'll just girdle it and then we'll use a herbicide. This tree right here now should should uh, should uh, no longer exist. You can't just go through and treat it once and then turn your back on it. You got to make sure that you're continually monitoring the areas that have been treated and you try and get back to them for some follow-up treatment. And that's where you can really make your progress. These are walking catfish. Clarius petrachus. <laughs> They're uh, non-native species. We had a big rain shower this morning, so they're probably trying to relocate uh, from a hole where they were in the water and trying to find a bigger body of water to, to persist through the dry season. And uh, these ended up on the road and uh, some are stranded in the higher ground areas where there's not much water. Don't seem to be able to always find the better habitat. Grass isn't always greener, I guess. to an area on the western uh, part of Everglades National Park where we released a biocontrol, the brown Ligodium moth that's a biocontrol for old world climbing fern or Ligodium. As we're flying, I'm going to probably be looking and monitoring for general other non-native plants that are out there. Within Everglades National Park, we know there to be just a little over a thousand different species of plants. And of that, a little over 200 of them are thought to be non-native. We estimate that there's about 200,000 gross acres of land infested within that million and a half acres with some t type or another of an exotic species. The area that we released the biocontrol in is one of the higher levels of infestation of Ligodium that we have in the park, which is one of the reasons why we released the biocontrol there. There's not a lot of roads out there to get us to where we need to go. The remoteness and the inaccessibility is definitely uh, a challenge. 
We first detected Ligodium in Everglades National Park in 1999. And at that time, we estimated the coverage of Ligodium to be, I believe, around 200 acres. And presently, we estimate it to be around 10,000 acres. This is Old World Climbing Fern, also known as Ligodium microphyllum. Some of the features that I use to recognize it are it's this bright green color, typically and it has these fine, sort of small, delicate-looking leaves. It tends to climb up other plants and use them as support. And this is a, a good example. It's just shown in other habitats and in other areas that it is completely overgrown tree islands where there's nothing, literally some of the photos I've seen of it have shown literally nothing but Ligodium. But again, it's, it's a challenge just to get out here and and try and try and figure out what's going on with this one specific spot over the whole huge landscape of the Everglades. It's a fantastically beautiful landscape. If you look around, there are birds flying through the sky and the herons and the egrets hunting in the corners. And the Everglades team's just been fantastic to work with. These biologists are unbelievably dedicated and they're out here uh, day after day, year after year, counting the fish so that we can be sure that the habitat remains beautiful and, and as it should be and as it always was. I would hope that the Burmese python is used as a poster child, a poster snake, for this larger issue of are we doing the right things and do we have everything in place that we can have to prevent this from happening in the next, next time. Whether it's laws, regulations, education, outreach, whatever it might be, the tools to respond, all of that in a package. Let's try and avoid this. It was about an 11 and a half, 12 foot snake and as soon as it hit the water, it was gone. Some people suggest, you know, oh, if there's a python problem, why don't you just run out in the Everglades and catch them all? But that, that right there just proves that it's not that easy. There could be a 15-foot snake right behind you right now, and you wouldn't see it. Or behind you. Yeah, there probably is, actually. <laughs>